Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? American democracy is alive and kicking. There is no overstating this. This week was a very, very bad week for Republicans and a very, very good week for America. There were absolutely massive wins in elections all over this country. Massive. Up and down the ballot. Ohio, Virginia, Kentucky, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Minnesota. A message was delivered to the party of Donald Trump this week. And the message was this. F off. Democracy ain't dead. It's alive and kicking. It just has to kick a little bit harder these days. Okay, a lot harder. But let Ohio be yet another lesson to all of you supposedly pro-life Republicans. Do not F with the rights of American women. Because we will not have any of it. So sorry. And let Iowa, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, Virginia, and Minnesota be a message to all those book-banning history whitewashing moms for liberty. You got your butts kicked everywhere. Your extremism was rejected. You're not fooling anyone. You're not some grassroots org advocating for parental rights. You're not for liberty. You're fear-mongering, crisis-creating, outrage-manufacturing, GOP-funded propagandists who are using parents and students as pawns to push a far-right agenda under the guise of parental empowerment. And it's total BS. And you just found out. Ain't that something? My guest this week is none other than Michael Cohen, the former fixer and personal attorney to former President Trump, author of two New York Times bestsellers, Disloyal, a memoir, and Revenge, how Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his critics, as well as the host of two top-rated news podcasts, Mea Culpa with Michael Cohen, and Political Beatdown on the Midas Touch Network. I always really enjoy my conversations with Michael, and this one is definitely included. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast, Michael Cohen. Hey, Jojo. How are you? I'm great. Uh, I'm so happy to talk to you again. I feel like we're becoming fast friends. <laughs> I know, right? For, you know, because you did my podcast on Mea Culpa, just to let you know, incredible, incredible numbers. You're much more popular than I am. <laughs> I don't I don't know about that, but that's awesome. It's actually one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on any podcast. It was just, I don't know, just feel like strangely like I know you, that we could just shoot the shit and it's like really easy, breezy. There's no, you know, pretense or weirdness. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just we're from the same region of the world. I think so. Maybe it's just similar personality. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. Which, <laughs> which I think I think we're both I think we're both out of our fucking minds, but that's <laughs> There's, there's absolutely no question. And we both have something to say. That is for sure. And, uh, and we're going to say whether or not you want to hear it. So but speaking of something to say, I want to I want to talk about the the New York trial, right, the fraud trial. But first, I want to just sort of look at some historic election victories this week in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, even my state of New Jersey. Um, I want to it's kind of a referendum on MAGA. I want to talk about that a little bit first. What are your takeaways? Okay. Yeah, what are your takeaways on it? What's my takeaway? My takeaway is that the GOP has once again stuck their foot right up their ass. What they don't see, they, they're getting it all wrong. And it's fine by me. You know, this is a misconception by too many people that I'm a, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. I've been a Democrat basically my entire life. In fact, something a lot of people don't know, go back and look. 1987 and 1988, before you were even born, no. I, was working, I was working for Congressman Joe Moakley uh, in Washington when I was attending American University. That was really my first foray into uh, U.S. politics. Dem major Democrat. And I've been a Democrat, as I said, basically most of my life. I did switch parties 
to Republican, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. So I was friendly with Governor Pataki uh, here in New York, a Republican, a great, great guy. And a very close friend of mine uh, had asked me if I would consider running for city council. And this was like in 2003. Clearly, I could not run a Democratic uh, ticket because the city council member was already the incumbent and it was a shoo-in uh, for but they had nobody to run against her. And so Pataki asked me while we were out for dinner one night if I would consider doing it. The only way, of course, to do it would be to switch my party affiliation. And I did. It was exactly the same as Mike Bloomberg had done when he was running for mayor. He switched from Democrat, Independent to Republican, one and so on. Right. Well, as soon as I was done with that, I switched back to Democratic Party. Then unfortunately forced by Steve Wynn, yes, the great Steve Wynn, who was the uh, head of the RNC Finance Committee, and I was a vice chair under Steve Wynn, but I was a Democrat, and they, <laughs> I didn't tell anybody, and then they ultimately found out, and Steve was like, can't do this, right? People won't give money to you uh, if, in mm -hmm. fact, you're a Democrat, even though you're raising it for Donald. So I and then, of course, after the election, I switched back. So I am a Democrat. Going back to your question, Republicans keep you know, making the same mistake over and over and over again. And they're making the same mistake since 2017. They've lost 2017. They lost 2020. They lost 2022. And then they just this midterm um, you know, uh, election here for governors and, and so on. But by a resounding, resounding including in three states that that New York Times Siena poll had shown that these swing states are heavily now Republican and anti-Joe Biden. Based on what happened the other night, I don't see it that way. And I don't particularly have much confidence in the poll either. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I don't I really don't put much stock in polling. Everyone's got their hair on fire about those polls that came out over the weekend and show Trump beating beating Biden, et cetera. Again, I don't, I don't put much stock in that. And I think a lot of people counted out maybe Ohio on this you know, amendment to enshrine reproductive rights into their state constitution. But I think at the end of the day, overall, I think Americans are really, really tired of MAGA and the chaos and the fact that they don't do anything and they don't even listen. Like Americans are saying, we want reproductive rights. We don't want, we didn't like the Dobbs decision, but Republicans the Republican like elected officials are like, ah, oh, sorry, we, we can't hear you. And people are like, you know what? At the end of the day, we're going to make our voices heard. And they're rejecting this extremism that doesn't actually fit what they want. And I think that that is, again, a referendum on MAGA, on Trump, on, on Trumpism, on the, the extremism of it. And I think uh, they should be very worried based on what we saw. So two points. Yeah, so two points on that. First of all, seven out of 10 Americans believe that Roe should have continued and it should still be the week before which you know any decision would have to be would have to be made and it should be consistently left up to the woman in terms of how to handle her pregnancy her reproductive rights and so on 7 out of 10 that's not good for the republicans especially the mandarin mussolini himself <laughs> comes out and he says I'm the one who did it. Yeah. I'm the one overturned. 50 years, 50 years. Meanwhile, this is a guy, and I'm telling you, not because we're on adverse sides of the aisle now, and so we've always had our differences regarding certain views. But on that view, we always, when we were together, we were always consistent. Neither Donald or Give a shit what anybody else chooses to do. You be you. Let me be me. Me, I happen to choice. Now, that doesn't mean I have to fight with. It doesn't mean I have to attack someone who's pro-life. I wish you all the best in your pregnancy, in your child, in their life. I wish everybody all the best on that. But he's now taken this far-right position, this ultra-Southern white Christian 
evangelical position that he doesn't truly believe in either. So if you don't really believe in it, which he does not, he's into the crowd, Mm -hmm. then you can't be effective into it. Where he was effective is he took from the heritage or uh, society or the other um, group that's there, and he took all of their judges. He didn't do any vetting of any of these judges. They handed him a book of which judges that want to take over federal positions or the Supreme Court, and the schmuck just went ahead, one after the other. (laughs) I like him. I like her. They're great. And so I did my job. Now he's taking credit for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And that's not going to ignore well for him because the loss of Roe to America, the loss of Roe to American citizens and to your and to your rights is just the beginning. What it shows is that something that should have been stare decisis, it's been the land for 50 years now can be overturned like that simply based upon a decision by a group of Supreme Court judges, especially the last three, not including uh, Katenji uh, Jackson, but the three appointed by Trump who are legit maggots mm-hmm. and that they are legitimate evangelical ideological um, judges who are not predicating their decisions on law, but rather on, um, you know, theocracy and uh, and their religious principles. Especially Amy Coney Barrett. But it's, it, it's so interesting because this thing this about Trump being pro-life, it's such a lie. I mean, he was on Meet the Press with Tim Russert forever ago where he said the opposite. He said that he believed that it was a New Yorker, right? So he said the opposite. He said he believed that it was up to, you know, a woman, that it wasn't, you know, that he wasn't pro-life, that he was pro-choice. So he flipped just conveniently, and it's all part of the fraud, all part of the con, all part of what I call fictional Trump. And so moving to that conversation, because that's part of the con, part of the lie, let's talk about the New York. the con, right? Yeah, let's talk about the trial in New York, because really all of this is it's business fraud, right? I mean, this is this is the, this is the big lie, the big Trumpian business lie. It's all a fraud and a con, right? Well, to and yes, I mean, look, the guy inherited a shit ton of money from his father, who was enormously, enormously wealthy. I mean, he was probably, if they really gave a shit uh, during those times with Forbes and so on, his father would have been on that Forbes list. That's how rich the guy was. But he he wanted to fly under the radar. He was a Brooklyn, Queens guy. Um, Donald, of course, wanted to tackle Manhattan because it had to do with his ego. Well, same ego that pushed him into Manhattan is the same ego that decided for him to push up his financial status or, you know, the number to which he was attached to on the Forbes wealthiest um, individuals list as high as he could. And those numbers are hyperinflated. And that's really so far what this baseline $250 civil fraud New York attorney general case has shown that the money that he claims to have had, his extraordinary, extraordinary wealth, was not legitimate. Now, most people would be very happy to have a billion dollars. I mean, they, you know, when you start seeing like Powerball for a billion dollars, everybody in their mind is already thinking, holy shit, yeah, I mean, that's going to... Donald was definitely worth a billion dollars. There's no doubt of that. But I'll tell you what, he wasn't. Wasn't worth 10. He wasn't worth eight. And his need to hyperinflate his assets was the predicate for, of course, this case, but also what will be his downfall. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You'll see the testimony that has already come out, and it came out during Ivanka's uh, testimony, that Deutsche Bank, of only two banking institutions that were willing to make any loans to him. Everybody else ran away from him. So you had Deutsche Bank and Ladder Capital. Now, just as a side note, Ladder Capital, one of the employees, uh, one of the managers, uh, managers of that company, happened to be Jack Weisselberg. And if the last name's familiar, he is the son of Alan Weisselberg, the CFO of the Trump Organization. So really had predominantly uh, Deutsche Bank. And the problem that you have there is even in Ivanka's testimony, they first wanted $3 billion of actual net worth in order to make a specific loan. They ended up reducing it to two and a half. If in fact he would have um, you know, Donald showed them that he was worth eight, nine billion, or maybe even more, which is how he was in favorable rates. The result of that is something which is called disgorgement, which is they are now going to go back in time, figure out how much that he benefited from the fraud. And New York, through its law of disgorgement, will be able to charge Donald Trump that as a fine that finals, of course, carries penalty and interest. The numbers here are going to be far in excess of the minimum that Tish James put in her um, complaint of $250 million. It's going to be substantially, substantially higher. Holy shit. And and like you said, like it's going to be his downfall. This is his narcissism, essentially, right? Because he's not, he's like Veruca Salt. He's like every kid in, in um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory because he- I want the world. Right? I want- yeah i mean he he's not sad he was never satisfied when as as a billionaire as a new york like you know famous billionaire on the you know the the ladies seeing all the things he would make up stories about madonna and all that he wasn't he wasn't satisfied as the president he had to he had to go ahead and essentially try and steal that and it's all driven by his narcissistic ego his need like to be more i i mean it's crazy i i mean i don't i've read a lot of stories about him you know in the past as a child growing up etc but it's so fascinating to me where this comes from well it's in in all fairness it's very similar to the um mythological character of icarus mm -hmm. you know his arrogance and his ignorance got him with his uh, waxed wings to fly too close to the sun, which of course melted the wings and plummeted him to his death. It's the same thing. Right now, his company is in what's known as a death spiral because as a result of Judge Pond's decision in the first part of the case, which is the liability portion, they held that the Trump organization committed fraud. The result of that is that the license to, uh, you know, to operate in the state of New York, which is a considering the Trump Corporation is a New York domiciled entity, now been revoked, and neither Donald, Don Jr., Eric, Ivanka, uh, Alan Weisselberg, Jeff McCarthy, there was a whole slew of people. They will not be able to conduct business. They will not be able to operate a business. I think it's for like five year period in the state of New York. So that's a real problem. It's a real problem for them. Uh, it's a real problem for the organization. Those assets will ultimately be sold in order to um, pay off the disgorgement uh, fees that Trump and the organization are going to be held liable for. 
it's like death spirals. It applies more, not just his businesses, his whole existence right now. I mean, this is the, I had no idea that it was that um, severe in terms of the penalties, but I was curious about, you know, what your thoughts were, because we've seen them all testify now. Um, and there were different styles. Let's say, I think it's absolutely nauseating that Ivanka got any credit for being calm as if that's somehow like a measure of, I don't know, adult. How come I didn't get credit for being calm? Right. And, it's... You know, <laughs> okay. There were some exchanges between me and Alina Abba. You know, Alina's problem is, you know, she's trying to be a mini Donald. Mm -hmm. Anyone who has tried to emulate him has gotten burnt, mm -hmm. either ended up like myself uh, in prison or lost their license. Look at Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani. <laughs> Just think about it. Rudy Colludi, America's mayor, was once as like this, just this icon, this beacon. Now when he walks down the street, people yell at him. You know, they curse at him. You know, they, they he gets zero, zero respect from New Yorkers. And every now and then you'll come across a MAGA moron that will turn around and say, yeah, you keep fighting, Rudy. You keep mm -hmm. fighting. Rudy lost his home, right? He still owes money to his ex-wife, Judy. He owes money all over the place. He's going to owe um, an exorbitant amount of money that he cannot afford to pay. Uh, I mean, he couldn't even afford to pay his real estate tax. So now they're selling the apartment, a place that the guy's lived for, what, 30 plus years? You know, at his age, walking with that, with that drop foot of his, like the fucking penguin from Batman, you know, like, like you know, Danny DeVito overgerating a club foot. That's what Rudy Kaludi has become. And it's, you know, it's a shame because we all him from 9-11. Now, look, I believe any one of us would have done exactly the same thing. We all would have risen to protecting New York, uh, you know, and to rebuilding and doing everything possible to overcome that, you know, that devastating day. It wasn't us. It was Rudy. And he did it. And he also cleaned up the city. That is inarguable. So he had the ability to go down in history as a very effective mayor and a very effective advocate for public policy and so on. Instead, it will be written on his epitaph. He lies a dumb fuck that gave his loyalty to a guy who is like First Avenue one way. Mm. As a result, is laying here with this epitaph, calling him a dumb fuck. Because that's really what. Yeah, I mean, it's the old adage is true. Everything Trump touches dies, but I don't understand. Well, actually, that's not the adage. It's everything that Trump touches turns to shit. <laughs> that works too, but it's very true. And Rudy, I always make the joke that like, because of that, uh, you know, the press conference he did in a, in a in the parking lot of, you know, the Four Seasons landscaping company that was in between a, what I call a dildo store, a sex shop and a crematorium. It's like, that's Rudy's existence. It's sort of parked in that purgatory in between those two places. But I don't understand why anyone- With the, with the, with the black shoe polish- Oh, right, God. dripping down the side of his head. I mean, it's almost like a scene out of Dawn of the Dead. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's comical, but it's sad at the same time. Again, you know, not to be repetitive, and certainly, you know, I have an issue with Kaludi, but it's sad. This is a guy who at one point in time was America's mayor, mm -hmm. the laughing stock of not just New York, but the entire country, if not the whole world. Yeah, he was mayor when I was I lived on the Upper East Side and it wasn't far from Gracie Mansion. He was mayor at the time. And I had reverence for the place, which is crazy looking back on it now. It's not that I don't have reverence for the building, but that he was the occupant of it and I had reverence for it is pretty insane. But, you know, and he's become a punchline, to say the very least. Not, I mean, the COVID fart heard around the world, like you said, the hair dye. And what here's my question, though. So we've seen person after person, you know better than anybody, suffer for their relationship to Donald Trump. Why would anyone do it now? Like Walt Nauda. Walt Nauda is is still loyal to Donald Trump. He's still his man at all of his events. And he's, he's been indicted with him in the documents case. And he still thinks somehow that he's going to be a beneficiary of this relationship. And I don't understand that. Yeah. So the only thing that I can think of for Walt, because he's not 
look, I don't know anything. I've actually never met him. But somewhere along the line, what they're saying is that when Donald wins the presidency, mm. day number one, right after he gets inaugurated, he's going to pardon you from all of this. He's going to protect you. He's going to do whatever is necessary to help you. That's so long as you stay within the circle um, of Donald's lies and that you continue to promote the lies, carrying Donald's water. Even if that means, like what happened to Paul Manafort, like what happened to Roger Stone, like what happened to Steve Bannon, like what happened to Alex Jones, the same thing that happened to all of these folks, like George Papadopoulos, every single person that is in that inner circle that Trump feels that he could use as a scapegoat, Michael Cohen, he will use, he will throw you under the bus and not think twice about it. The man has no regard for anyone. And by the way, that includes his children as well. Yeah, that that's that's something that I feel like I just don't understand how other people don't see it. I know that people like you and I see it. I know that people who have, you know, more than one firing synapse in their brains see it. But there's he he it's not America first with Donald Trump. It's never been America first with Donald Trump. It's always Donald Trump first. This idea that he got indicted, that he's been indicted for them, for the cult, for America, that they believe that right. and then send them their insulin money because somehow he's a martyr. I just, it's crazy to me how people choose not to see the truth. Well, remember, Stalin always said that it, <laughs> all you need to do is to continue to repeat the lie over and over and over again. And ultimately, the lie becomes the truth. Donald has perfected that. It's funny, if you ever listen to him, and I know most people now are just sick of hearing his voice, but there is something to the way that he speaks. He goes up. Then he goes down, mm -hmm. and he goes up, and he goes down. And it's almost like melodic in a way where you start sort of like moving with him when he moves his body to the left and then to the right as he's looking at the teleprompter. But of course, you always know when he's looking straight ahead, now he's speaking from his, you know, from his own head, which is a very dangerous place because there's nothing inside brain of his that makes any sense everything is conspiracy it is donald is the martyr he's the victor that this is all joe biden's weaponization of the justice department against him because he is number he's the leading uh gop candidate that the polls are all showing that he's going to beat biden that he's the end all be all so the only way that biden could beat trump not the fact that he beat him once legitimately before and we'll go again but the in donald's mind and to his maggots you call them people with you know you, you use more of the biological the synapses of the brain are not firing the necessary amount of what's called acetylcholine right that's not reality here we're talking about morons with four teeth and three <laughs> brain cells that's the only way to describe it. they follow the melody and they sort of get into it, and then they listen to it, and then they repeat it as if it's gospel, when in fact it's just bullshit. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
it's amazing. It's again, fictional Trump that they are willing to believe all of these things to the point where they now say, even if he's in prison, they will still support him. They will still vote for him. And like just thinking of how absolutely and utterly insane that is, it blows my mind. But there's this other thing that they go along with to your point when he talks off the off script, when he looks you know straight ahead and he does this yeah, thing. Script. Of, yeah. He loves authoritarians. He was talking about uh, Kim Jong-un the other night, uh, about, I think, last night, maybe, during his stupid thing during the the, the debate. He he loves authoritarians. He loves Putin. He loves, uh, you know, Kim Jong-un. He, it's it's very scary. And yet his MAGA idiots, I'll call them MAGA idiots, they go along with it, too, where they're like, wait a minute, these are these are people I should admire? It's like, what are you talking about? But he but he oft, often re- reveals that, where he talks about Hamas being strong and Hezbollah being strong. It's, it's, it's disturbing. Yeah, sure, it's disturbing. You know, the worst part about these idiots is that they accept Donald and then they make excuses for him. Okay, yeah, we don't want authoritarianism in America. We also don't want socialism. We don't want wokeism. So they're willing to decide the fact that he has these absolute autocratic um, ideology. They're willing to put that aside. And why? Well, just look at, for example, the rally yesterday in, it was like 10 miles or so from where the debates were being had. The fact that a presidential candidate, a leader right now of the GOP, has refused to appear for three debates should be a disqualifier by the GOP. Let him run as an independent. But if I am the head of the GOP, like Ronna Romney McDaniel, I would say, fuck that. You're not going to show up to our GOP presidential debates so that we can have the best possible candidate for our party? Mm-hmm. How is it that you could disrespect your party so? In fact, to counter-program at the exact same time, you realize that he has hurt everybody in the down ballot all across this country time and time again, but they just make excuses for him. And why? Well, again, look at the rally. So always over his right shoulder, camera left is what we call it, there's always at least one black person. Now that person you know is on the payroll. And then every now and then you'll see like five or six or seven people off to the right. What you'll find is that once again, it's the same thing. There's one black person to the right and that's it. The reason why that person, of course, is also on the payroll, probably the same company. Hmm. All of Donald's rallies look like Klan meetings. It is all vanilla. It is There is no diversity in Donald's orbit. And why? Because that's who he appeals to. What he's doing is he's promoting white privilege. And these folks are very happy with that privilege, that they no matter what, I don't care that, for example, Oprah Winfrey is worth like $3 billion, $4 billion. I don't care that, um, you know, this individual who's black is uh, worth, you know, a billion dollars or five, you know, whatever the number is. I'm still white. I have that white privilege mentality and they don't want to give it up and reinforces that on an ongoing and consistent basis. Look at just the things that he says. Look at what he does. He codes up to our adversaries, all at the expense of who? Our allies. Netanyahu is no, uh, you know, uh, Macron was no good. Uh, Trudeau is no good. You know, uh, Meghan Merkel at the time. Angela. You know, that's another one. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> that, that, that's that's a little that's a little error there, right? Not a head uh, of Angela, state for sure. <laughs> Angela Merkel, right? Angela Merkel was. Could you imagine? It was like on the presidential stage, and I used Hagen Merkel <laughs> instead of Angela Merkel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is, you know, it, it, this one's no good. That one's no good. But you know who is good? Kim Jong Un. 
Mm-hmm. Here's a love affair. Mm-hmm. Or he paid. He's a great friend. Or you got Vladimir Putin. Who's smarter than him, right? I mean, just look at Mohammed bin Salman. That's okay. He just chopped up an American, right, Jamal Khashoggi, and there was no repercussion. Zero. And who's the first person MBS calls after that? Jared Kushner. I mean, the whole thing is just wacky. You know, it's just out of control. And the amount of grift that was going on in that White House for the benefit of Emily, the fact that Ivanka and Jared in their four years in the White House pulled down over $640 million, it's absurd. Especially when you're looking at a, at a trial in New York that's already been, I mean, they've already been found liable of business fraud. Are people supposed to assume that they they committed decades of business fraud when they were, you know, private citizens, but they stopped once they got into the White House? Like, the, what? Of course, that makes a, a ton of sense. But like, again, it's it's all part of this, back to what you just said, because of that white privilege thing. And we talked about this when I was on your podcast about how they're willing to just believe whatever it is, whatever it is, that allows them to continue to embrace his his, you know, legitimization of them being, you know, white nationalists, essentially, of them being racist and thinking that their birthright makes them superior. He gives them that that power. And for that, they will reward him with the undying loyalty. But here's the big problem for Republicans, as we now know, repeatedly, this is not a winning message on a national scale. Republicans keep losing. The more they tether themselves to this weight, the more they lose. And I think there's a race against time for how much they can cheat and gerrymander versus, you know, what the actual electorate wants, which is to keep them out of government. But it's I, like Trump will get the nomination. MAGA will get they'll get they'll win in primaries. But beyond that, it's it's a lead weight. It's a dead weight. Yeah. As they like to say, he's the albatross yeah. uh, around of the GOP. That's just what that's just what he is. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not giving them any I don't want to give them any points or, or you know, tips. But um, again, uh, as this Tuesday's elections showed, um, that is definitely a losing message, but good luck there, Republicans. Um, okay, that concludes the normal portion of our conversation, which normal, regular, I don't know. Now we go to the totally random question round. Are you ready, Michael Cohen? Okay. <laughs> yeah, now I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, these are very serious questions. Um, of Donald Trump's children, which one would last longest in a zombie apocalypse? Don Jr., Really? Yeah. yeah. He's um Don Jr. Don Jr. is a natural. He got that from his grandfather. And I'm referring to Ivana's dad, uh, who was an avid hunter, instilled into Don. Um, you know, legitimate hunting skills. Though Don would say that Eric is a better sh- but Don is more um animalistic. I mean, you may recall when Don and Eric hunting. And if this is a, this is funny though. You know, and it, 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 it needs a little bit of a backstory here. They went hunting of animals from an elephant to a leopard. And you could go online, you could see uh, Don and Eric's uh, hunting extravaganza. I can only tell you when they finally got back, because they didn't tell their father. And he, of course, saw because animal activists were going just ballistic at the brutality he cut off don jr cut off the elephant's tail and he had it you know hanging around uh eric and don they had this leopard dead of course uh over their shoulders uh buffalo bison etc um don donald hated it and he wanted to throw them both out the window mm. he was so angry at them but all of a sudden whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. slow the fuck down sudden the nra threw don and eric because they're both avid avid hunters all of a sudden they take a liking to the trumps and they become one of his biggest advocates and to this day he donald's all about second amendment said donald fucking hates guns Hmm. now he has a license to carry but he's also had pretty always he hated the fact that Don and Eric used to go hunting. This is what he would say, and I'm not making this up. This is what he would say. Oh, two big fucking tough guys. You're sitting there hiding behind a tree with a $10,000 gun, and 
the thing is dead. You're a big man. He goes, go kill the animal with a knife. Go, go take him. And Don would say, oh, I could kill an animal with a knife. Eric, on the other hand, kept his mouth shut. But Don could actually do it. Don would actually fight a leopard with a knife because that's just his. He's animalistic in that way. My God, that was so many layers of holy shit. Like, I mean, yeah, <laughs> again, no, no, no. Again, it just speaks to the fraud, the, 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 the fictional Trump that he's this big Second Amendment guy. Donald hates guns, always did. He's not a Second Amendment guy any more than he is, you know, um, pro. He just doesn't care. Yeah. And he got that gun um, uh, engraved or something. There was a, I forget what it was recently where they put his name on it in maybe South Carolina or something. And he wasn't legally allowed to carry because of his indictments. I, I can't remember what state it was, but maybe it was Georgia, right? I guess. I don't know. I don't know how that all works. But um, this, yeah, that is fascinating. And I, I love that Eric would be like, I don't know. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is not a Trump-related question. This is just a nostalgic-related question. What was your favorite TV show as a, a kid, a little kid, and why? Wow, my favorite TV show as a kid. Yeah. I had, obviously a lot of them. I mean, there was, of course, you know, you had the love boat. And then of course, after that, you had fantasy Island Friday night, uh, yeah. you know, shows, shows like that. I mean, I love the Jeffersons. I love Archie Bunker. Uh, I love Sanford and son. I, I mean, there really wasn't that many, you know, I, I didn't like really, you know, one day at a time. Okay. You know, obviously happy, happy days. It has to be. And, you know, I happen to be friendly with Henry Winkler. He was on my Maya Culpa podcast. You know, I can't remember people always had, uh, you know, you know, you you and Henry Winkler look like, uh, no, no, we don't. But, you know, maybe we have the same airline. <laughs> but people have been saying that to me my whole life. He's the, he's the nicest man that you will ever meet. And I was very friendly with Scott Bayo for many, many years. In fact, I brought Scott Bayo into the Trump camp. No. And what kills me, yeah, what kills me is I don't speak to him anymore. He has gone so far right, I can't understand it. The Scott Bayo that I knew for years, for years, this, I, I can't believe it's the same person. You can't. Yeah, he's from this area, right? I don't know what's, if he's from Long Island, he's not from New Jersey. I feel like he's from this area somewhere, but... um. Yeah, Henry's going to be on my podcast in December, which is on this podcast. Well, you, well, you ask him. You yeah, ask him he's, you're right. One of the he, nicest human beings on the planet. And he's so open and honest. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but um, he's um, dyslexic and severely dyslexic. He'll tell you all about that. And I, it's funny because I never knew that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just enjoyed the time with him. He is a truly a just a heartfelt guy um so those are a whole slew of my favorites yeah, let's no. not forget saturday mornings the justice league along with like the shazam isis hour i mean you know yeah. as kids you know like that but i will tell you i was a little bit strange as a kid i loved all the shows that everybody else watched except for and remember i grew up from nursery through fourth grade in a yeshiva, wearing a yarmulke, sit-sit, 
We Half the day was Hebrew, half the day was English. I couldn't take it after fourth grade. But Sundays, I glued to Oral Roberts at the Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I could not get enough of Oral Roberts preaching. I swear in my life, I was fat. And Billy Graham, and then followed by Harry Falwell, which was hysterical, that ultimately mm-hmm. I became, and still am to this day, incredibly close with Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, as well as, you know, with um, with his wife. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, but I was glued to the evangelical uh, or the televangelists on Sunday morning. Yeah. Then, of course, then, of course, when that was over, Abbott and Costello. And that was, I think, Toby PIX probably played those, right? I think it was Channel 11 or Channel 9, I forget. But I don't know. There were only four channels. Yeah. <laughs> and But I remember Sunday mornings would start, and maybe I'm really dating myself here with this cartoon, but it was like a claymation cartoon called Davy and Goliath, I yep. think. Yep. Davy and Goliath. It? But that was from, that was from the Seventh-day uh, uh, seven Adventists. You know, but Davy. Yeah, those were the best. I mean, I had to watch it because I also, you know, I didn't sleep much even as a child. And so what else are you going to do? Yeah, I would read. I had thousands of comic books. I was a big comic book collector, you know, as a kid and baseball card. So after, you know, after going through your comic books and so on, you watch television and yeah, Davy and Goliath. They always had those great little, um, you know, religious teams. Uh, it was, but yeah, it was a bad form of Gumby. Exactly. It's weird because it's one of those very murky memories of mine from childhood that I'm like, but did I watch that? And some of it was watched on the one black and white TV we had in our kitchen, which is even more telling on on myself about my age. Okay. Last, last question. If your Twitter account, I still call it Twitter. You and I still probably both call it Twitter. If your Twitter account got hacked and uh, what's the one thing the hacker could write that would definitely signal to people that it wasn't you? Look, anything towards Trump, I suspect, or, you know, any of those uh, sycophantic fools that keep following him. I mean, anything positive aside, they knew they would know that it's clearly not me, that the account has been hacked. Yeah. What an interesting um, arc from, you know, where we first where the public first became aware of you to that point where that would be a big tell that your account had been hacked. I mean, I, I another time we'll have that conversation about, you know, what I was going to ask you, we didn't get to it, but that's fine. You know, what he damage that relationship has done to your, to your life and to your family. But, you know, suffice it to say, uh, again, if you said something positive about him now, it would be the tell that you had been hacked because that's the journey that this whole thing has taken for you. Um, but I'm glad, not glad that you've been on that journey, but I'm glad to have made this connection now to you on this side of that journey. No, yeah, well, okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, look, it's... um. It's a horrible journey. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't wish this journey, to be honest with anyone, um, you know, come December 14th, as an example, I brought a lawsuit against the United States government, the Department of Justice, Trump, Bill Barr, and a whole bunch of other people. Something a lot of people don't know, I am the first political prisoner held by this country, by my own country, because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. So I went down to 500 Pearl Street, met with a guy named Adam Pakula, he's a low-level uh, guy, along with uh, his boss, who was also low-level, but his boss, Enid Phoebus, and she's now since retired down to Florida, to MAGA country. And um, I was supposed to go there to sign some papers, which interesting of itself that Nobody else that I had ever spoken to who had gone through this process had been over to 500 Pearl Street, which coincidentally is the criminal court building. Normally, you go to uh, you know a facility in the Bronx uh, called GEO, G-E-O, and they have the uh, connection to the Bureau of Prisons for ankle monitoring, signing, uh, and paperwork. They wanted me down at 500 Pearl Street. And it didn't sound normal. So I asked a buddy of mine, Jeff, who's a lawyer, if he'd do me the favor and come down with me, something seemed wrong. Well, we go down there. They hand me a two-page document, ask me to read it and sign it. And number one was that I will not speak to media, will not do television, will not do radio, publish a book, will not do a movie, will not, there's all of these, these very significant 
um, constitutional First Amendment restrictions. And both Jeff and I almost simultaneously said to them, hey, you know, this is really uh, heavy handed, not to mention my first book, Disloyal, was already with the printer. So mm. I was like, the second I sign this, you realize that I'm going to be in violation. Can we tamp the language down? To which they asked us to read the others, see if we agree with them. And we were fine with them. They were a little restrictive, but I can get past it. They then asked us to wait out in the in the hallway uh, while they reached out to the superiors. Um, we did. We're sitting there. An hour, hour, 20 minutes goes by. All of a sudden, there are three marshals, massive, massive guys, massive handcuffs and shackles. And they handcuff, shackle me, literally, um, and then remand me back to prison where I spent another 16 days in solitary confinement with zero movement at all until my lawyer, uh, Danya absolute genius. She went ahead and she filed these papers. Even Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein, federal judge Alvin K. Hellerstein, Southern District of New York, responded to government. This is the most retaliatory act by a president and a um, and a DOJ and a, the attorney general ever seen in my like 30 years sitting on the bench that he could only rule that it was retaliatory and violative of my First Amendment constitutional right. As a result of the Dobbs decision, where we first started our conversation, not did Dobbs overturn Roe v. Wade, but it also overturned the pivotal case of Bivens, which is the way that will get redress from the government uh, by suing them for violating your rights. Overturned Dobbs' decision, overturned Bivens, and now is sending it to Congress. Could you imagine? They want Congress or state to figure out how each violation should be handled by either the state or by Congress. Congressional decision. Could you imagine? Congress can't even pass a fucking budget, and they want them to talk about how President weaponizing the Justice Department through a bloviated asshole attorney general, Bill Barr, who none of us should have any credit for anything that he's doing, that they would go ahead and remand a U.S. citizen to prison, violate First Amendment constitutional right, because he refused to waive it, based off of a document that they prepared specifically for him. There's so many violations here that it's scary, but... Bivens was overturned, and now we're at the appellate because there is actually a line in the document that was put out by Justice Thomas in the decision, which is, unless it is of the most unusual circumstance. And the entire argument is, what could be more unusual president, through a complicit attorney general, weaponizing the Department of Justice to go against a U.S. citizen, remaining to prison, because he wouldn't waive his First Amendment constitutional rights. I just don't understand. It's a case that's now taught in law school. Mm. It's taught in law schools today. And when we finally get a decision, if we're going to the Supreme Court, if we win, I guarantee you, government's going to take it to the Supreme Court. This is going to be another case that's going to be on par with like Brown versus Board of Education or um, Plessy versus Ferguson. This is constitutional. It's the First Amendment. The First Amendment. You don't get to the second if you don't have the first. All right. And the, the fact that the that the there is literally a committee, a, a gaslighting committee called the the, the committee of weaponization of the federal government that is investigating Joe Biden for doing exactly what Donald Trump did. It just it really just does. It's the hypocrisy. It's shared by Jim Big Jordan. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's all a sham, but it's I mean, again, the, the, every accusation is a confession every single time. Um, wow. I will be watching that. Um, so you, let's you've got your podcast, Mea Culpa, which I was on. Thank you so much again for having me on. What else are you working on? You want to d- d- direct people to etc. So let's see. Uh, obviously, I would uh, ask your viewers, your listeners, my second book, which was number six on the New York Times bestseller list, Disloyal was number one, but which is very nice. Uh, but number six, um, it is a forensic dissection, and it's called the playbook, 
but it's a forensic dissection of the most corrupt prosecution in the last hundred years, United States citizen. And it outlines through conversations with federal um, investigators, FBI, federal judges, uh, lawyers, accountants, et cetera. And it really lays out the entire case and the danger that Donald poses to the United States. I say that Trumpism is fascism and we must eradicate from our body politic. But on top of that, uh, so I have the book Revenge, which I again recommend, a podcast which is called Mea Culpa, but only subscribe to the one that has the blue background. That's the new RSS feed. The one that has read that you don't want to because those are old libraries uh, of Maya Culpa. We've done over 320 some odd um, episodes. All the new stuff and the really interesting, fun new stuff is on uh, the blue band one. On top of that, I'm going to be doing a live Maya Culpa at City Winery NYC. Uh, that is December 9th, I believe. Uh, you could go to citywinery.com uh, or citywinerynyc.com. Just look it up uh, in the shows. I'm going to be doing a live mea culpa. And uh, Katie Fang is going to be my guest on live. A uh, lot of fun. It's a very interesting venue. And lastly, I also have a second podcast, which is really on YouTube. It goes live every Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5.30 p.m. Um, again, it's on YouTube. You can look it up through the Midas Touch Network as well. Number one in the world in terms of news on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's gotten uh, incre incredible attention. Uh, the numbers of people that watch it live and then uh, watch the recording of it on YouTube, it's astounding. It's called Political Beatdown. And I do that with Ben Micellis. Uh, one of the brothers from the Midas Touch Network. And that's really where I'm at. That, taking care of the wife, the children, um, trying to still be a good son, good sibling, you know, that I'm not so good at. But, you know, <laughs> good son, definitely for sure, and a good friend. And just trying to uh, deal with a lot of my own issues that prison does to you, the PTSD you know, other health issues that, you know, as you get old and you get to be my age, uh, you know, you have to contend with the high blood pressure, you know, the achy joints, the torn ligaments. You know, so I got a lot of, uh, of issues that um, I need to deal with. But you're doing great and you are working on a lot, which is amazing. I mean, just two books, just like amazing. Um, the, and two podcasts, forget it. Oh my God, that's incredible. And again, I'm very glad to get to talk to you. Um, I enjoy our conversations a lot. Yeah, the same, the same. And very soon we'll do it. We'll do the conversation in person. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. And uh, again, um, thank you. Michael. Next time I get lost in New Jersey, I find myself like 80 miles deep into New Jersey, you know, wherever, <laughs> where, where you're at, then I'll be, I'll be calling. Otherwise, you got to come to the city. That's where yeah. all the good stuff is going on. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love the city. And if you got lost here, it would not bode well for you. You would need me to come and rescue you because I speak. Yeah, New Jersey's really strange. I got lost there once going out to Parsippany. Uh, yeah. My son likes to call Parsippany. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, in Parsippany. We're going to uh, actually to a ship there, Paul Miller. And so yeah. I was going there. We missed. We missed the exit somehow, or I made the wrong turn. Everything in New Jersey has a barrier, and it's not even one that you can get through. It's concrete, so you yeah. got to just keep going and going and going. The handle. Yeah, twelve miles past that exit, and now I'm finally able to make a turnaround. So now I got to go twelve miles back. That's four miles. I mean, the whole distance from New York to Paul Miller was only twenty-four miles. So it's oh my god, yeah, and. Fuck ways because in New Jersey, ways doesn't work. No, I don't. It's weird. It's like make a right turn. Well, if I make a right turn, I'm going over the side of the bridge. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I don't get it. 
Yeah, it's funny. I know I know Paul Miller. I grew up in the town. Oh, I grew up in Whippany, which is the town right next to Persephone. Um, yeah, uh-huh. and I know Paul Miller well. But yeah, you're talking about Route 46, which is oh. funny, which goes all the way out, all the way west, basically to PA, and it and gets really weird out there. But um, yeah, it, Jersey's Jersey's weird. But um, so but we still kept our legislature very blue. So I love you, New Jersey, and thank you for that. But um, yeah, with that, this concludes uh, this conversation, this episode of the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast. Michael Cohen, once again, thank you so much for joining me um everybody out there i am launching a new thing starting to start yesterday i'm gonna have like little under five minute rants shorts you can look for those um everywhere you find my podcast so youtube and all the other places that's a new thing um and i guess that concludes this episode so everybody have a great week and i'll see you next weekend thank you thank you michael are you effing kidding me is a production of the political voices network please visit us at political voices network Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.